Hey, from New Jersey, it's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. John, how you doing? Hey, Darren, that was that was a nice intro there. That was that was almost Shatnerian. I know, right? Like, I don't know, the, the, the Shatner just got in me. So, oh, that's not not about Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I just want to make sure I enunciate everything properly. I don't, sometimes I'm you know slur my words a bit so i was like i get no i gotta do this professionally i gotta oh you do drink a lot so uh yes 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 but not judging just stating a fact that's still no excuse my my alcoholism should be no excuse for my professionalism you are a functional alcoholic yeah if michael che can do it why can't i (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly so how are you doing i mean i haven't seen you in a few weeks this is I mean, we're, we've been recording the podcast remotely for, this is what, like the fourth episode we've done this way? The third? Um, yeah. Well, well, first we did, well, first it was Tropic Thunder, then in this. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's like the fourth episode. Tro- Tropic Thunder we did in the studio. So I think we started this with Austin Powers. So this is the third one. Austin Powers. Right. Last no, week. no, Tropic no, Tropic Thunder we did uh, via this thing we're doing here, the, the Discord really? thing. Yeah. Okay. Dude, okay. we've lost track of time, man. Like we really have time. Even know has no meaning. Um, I'm, I am just. My life is now just sitting at home <laughs> and trying not to touch my face. Oh, do you wear like uh like mittens at home, like uh you know, or like you know, uh oven mittens or something like that? Just to make sure you don't. I think I need to get like one of those dog collar things, that one of those cones to keep like that dogs wear to keep from uh you know going at their stitches. So, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you don't realize how much you touch your face. It's uh, like I touch my face and then one or two seconds later, I'm like, oh, right. I'm not supposed to be doing that. And then seconds, seconds later, I am touching my face again. You don't realize how much you touch your face until you're just constantly, constantly touching your face. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. We are we're going to come out of this thing with like a whole new generation of Howard Hughes's. We're we're yes. just going to be all germaphobes, washing our hands every thirty seconds, afraid to touch Being, doorknobs, saving jars. Yeah. Yes. Watching uh, a on a continuous loop. I look forward to it. <laughs> I am here for it. I, for one, welcome the the future where we all wear tissue boxes as shoes. Yes. Yes. But until that day arrives, we've got Saturday Night Live stuff to talk about, Darren. We do. You'd think we wouldn't because the show's not on because live TV is no longer a thing. But we do. Well, fortunately, the show has been running for uh, over 45 years at this point. And uh, there is no, there, there's a wealth of material out there. So we're, we're good. And you, you had a great suggestion for this week's show. Uh, we're going to do... Saturday Night, which is a 2010 documentary directed by Mr. James Franco. Right. Well, actually, I, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. This one was recommended to us by a SNL fan and a friend of the podcast, Rudy the Rube. Oh, okay. Well, uh, thank, thank you very much, Ruby. I was thinking this idea originated with you, but uh, I nope. didn't mean to deprive uh, Ruby of their proper credit. So thank you very much, Ruby. No, 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 I, I couldn't have come up with this one because, like, when she meant when Ruby mentioned it, I was like, "Oh, I've never heard of this documentary." And then I, I don't think you've heard of it. You heard of it either? 
as well. I I heard of it, but I'd kind of forgotten about it. When but when I was reminded of it, I was like, oh yeah, that's a thing. Okay, yeah, I remember hearing about that. I'd I'd never seen it. I just finished watching it about an hour ago as we were recording this, so very fresh in my mind. Uh, yeah, this, same here. This project had a real interesting genesis. It was it started out when James Franco was going to. Uh, NYU, New York University, he was going to the Titch School of the Arts, working towards a filmmaking degree, and he had an assignment to do a five or seven minute short film about uh, the uh, subject matter of his choice. Um, I'm not sure what the prescribed length was, the counts are varying, um, and he chose Bill Hader as his subject matter. So he decided to follow Bill Hader around and do a short film on Bill Hader. And who wouldn't? I mean, yeah, that's a great idea. If you know Bill Hader, you may as well take advantage of that and and use that access. So he got permission, James Franco got permission from NBC and Universal and, and all this to follow Bill Hader around SNL uh, and just kind of find out his week. And this ended up expanding into this whole hour and a half uh, documentary about following SNL through a week of production. So to comedy nerds like us, this is this is yeah. catnip, man. Yeah, no, this I mean this is uh this was an awesome uh, thing he did because like you said, like like we all like we we know what we see from the show and like we can say, oh that sketch didn't work, that sketch didn't work, but we don't know the inner workings really. Right. I so, mean like, it, it's always neat to see the process. No, absolutely. Like this, this this documentary really opened my eyes to like a lot of things that, like now I'm sure like when I watch the show now I'll be like, oh wow. Like I mean, it, you know, I, I'll maybe look at it with like a little less of a crit critical eye just because like now I know all the work that goes into it. It's I mean it's pretty uh, it's pretty incredible. I mean it, it is something to see, and he he goes through it day by day. I mean the the show uh, it starts out with their, their creation on, on Monday. It goes from the Monday uh, afternoon pitch meeting to a Tuesday when they're writing all day and literally all night, because uh, everyone in the show like stays up all night long or as close to it as they can manage. Uh, then Wednesday when they start putting together the show technically, Thursday when they're rehearsing, Friday more rehearsing and, and figuring out all the details, and, and then Saturday, it goes through like dress rehearsal, the the uh, dress show, and then the live airing. So I mean, it's it's something. This is going through it from soup to nuts, as they would say. Right. All right. Well, so let's let's break down the uh, documentary step by step. It first starts mm -hmm. off. Well, just so you know, um, so the this whole um this whole documentary is them following the week of them recording the uh, episode from December sixth, two thousand and eight. Where uh, J John Malkovich was the host. John Malkovich was the host, and T.I. was the musical guest. We don't really see T.I. in this documentary at all. He doesn't really hit on the musical guest because um, that's kind of its own thing, I guess. That's usually rather separate from the comedy sketch part of the show. Uh, so, I mean, even even in an hour and a half documentary, there are aspects of the show's production that cannot be covered. But this is this is pretty comprehensive. Right, right, absolutely. So, um, so then it, you will see, we show um, John Malkovich kind of going through the behind the scenes, about to go on stage, you know, to do his mm -hmm. monologue. You know, look very much like a Spinal Tappy, 
And then, uh, then it cuts to Monday, which is the pitch meeting. Which uh, I mean, it's something that I think we've both heard about. We both heard about, but we never seen it. And it's literally just like Lauren and the host in Lauren's office, surrounded by all the writers, and it's them just pitching ideas to each other. Yeah, is, and uh, like the first thing that struck me, Lauren's office much smaller than I imagined. Right. I mean, I'd read in in like the live from New York book, the oral history of the show. You, you read about, oh, yeah, the beginning of the week, everybody gathers in Lauren's office for a pitch. And so I'm picturing like Lauren's office being like the size of my apartment. But no, yeah. it, it's a fairly modest size office inside of 30 Rock. Um, I imagine some I imagine something like like a majestic, you know, all glass type of office with maybe a, a yeah. waterfall in the background, mm -hmm. maybe some peacocks. I don't know. Yeah, uh, you know, um, soft, soft leather couches, leather bound books, that smell of rich mahogany. Jared like that. flying around playing, playing lutes or harps or, or some old timey instrument like that. Yeah, a robot butler, you know, something fancy like that. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's, it's just a fairly, uh, all things considered, it looks rather modest. Um, and, and, you know, you, you see this and you're just like, Okay, I know you have a conference room there. I've I've seen footage <laughs> of you guys doing the the read-throughs there, but I guess it's it just seems more homey or something when everybody's crammed into that one office. But it, yeah. it's kind of funny. Um, and so maybe it's the thing where you, maybe it's the thing where you just find out like comedy works better under like you know crappy conditions. No, there's something to that. I mean, you and I both know from doing stand-up that. Uh, you do have to have the right sort of room for comedy. You want you, you yeah. can't have like this long. You can't have like a long narrow room or something because you just lose the laughs. Um, right? It, it no, no. Technical. Yeah, like I mean, I've done rooms. I've done shows in like you know small little dingy bars, and I, I always do way better in those than like you know the big. Uh, you know when I play the amphitheaters, of course. Right, right. When you when you go to the Apollo. <laughs> yes, of course, exactly. Right. You know when I. When I when I have uh, Eddie Murphy open up for me, it's usually I prefer the uh, smaller venues because you know keeps me humble. I've even heard like guys like uh, Conan O'Brien talk about that. Like when he when he was doing the Tonight Show at NBC, and then uh, uh, just a, a couple of years later, he's doing Conan at TBS. He was like, we had to have a get a smaller set because a more intimate area. It's better for comedy too. Also, I'm sure TBS doesn't have this same sort of deep pockets that NBC did, but. Oh, uh, but that's beside the point. But yeah, small rooms can be good for comedy. So yeah, maybe that's very deliberate on Lauren's part. But also, I'm yeah, sure it's just very limited by the space that they have there at Thirty Rock. Yeah, that's very true. Oh well, I mean, back to the pitch meeting. I am. Uh, they also um, was it uh, James Franco talked to Will Forte, and mm -hmm. like they interview him, and he has something where he says, like through his eyes, like he's done a bunch of uh, these pitch meetings that he always did. It's like. Um, when something sounds funny, when somebody's pitching something that sounds funny, that person usually doesn't have an intention to doesn't intend to write it. Yeah, interesting. Because he feels like if you say something and you pitch it and you get the last and you've already given away the punchline, so then then when the table read goes through, you have nothing nowhere to go really. Right. Yeah, he's saying you want them to laugh at the Wednesday table read. So if if the pitch sounds too funny, you've blown the joke two days early. And yeah. so he says he he said in his experience it's like fifty percent BS and fifty percent actual pitches, and I I remember Jay Moore saying this in his book uh, Gasping for Airtime that he wrote about his time on the show, and he said that 
yeah, you, you you BS your way through a lot of the Monday pitch meeting. Yeah, that's uh, I I did not see that coming when he said that. I was like, wow, huh? Yeah, that's interesting. That's and, and at one point, we have uh, <laughs> Myers, who I believe was the head writer at the time. This this is uh, in two thousand eight. Yes, uh, yes. As we said, this was the December sixth uh, show from two thousand eight. So Seth Myers, he's he pitches an idea because John Malkovich is hosting. He was like, we could do dangerous liaisons, but it's in a hot tub and it's called jacuzzi. And and this is something that like Seth Myers is just, I think, coming up with almost off the top of his head. Dude, when that happened, that like kind of solidified something I had always kind of thought of in my head where like mm -hmm. there because there have been a few sketches on SNL where you could tell the entire sketch was written around like a pun or yeah. like one joke. And like once I saw that is like, oh, see, they do do that. Like jacuzzi, jacuzzi is a cute little pun and then just writes something around that. Oh, and like what I, what I thought was fascinating, and I'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but uh, like we we he we see Seth Meyers pitch this idea on Monday, maybe half jokingly, and then on Tuesday, which is or, or uh, on Wednesday, which is the day of the table read, literally like an hour before the table read, Seth Meyers, the head writer of the show, is saying like, "Hey, should I do that idea? <laughs> would that would that work?" <laughs> And I was like, "You're the head writer, man. How are you? How are you? Come pitching? on, man. I understand if like the lower tier writers are are pitching the BS thing, but but to see the head writer half-ass something like that, or maybe, maybe not really half-ass, but maybe he just thought like, oh, that's a joke you make, and it's it wasn't a serious idea, but it was. But then just, he was like me." But it was it was funny to see the head writer be so blasé about it, and and that, that oh. really tickled me. I was like, Seth, come on, <laughs> a let um, out. But we but we kind of but the, this is an interesting thing about the documentaries. We see ideas pitched, and we see them developed, and we see them them costumed and cast, and and all that. So you get to see something go grow from just an idea to a finished sketch or close to finished sketch that goes up on national television on Saturday night, just right. five days from when they initially pitched it. That's amazing. Right. And then um, I think Bill Hader pitched some ideas about wanting to do some, the Vinny Vedecci sketch, which yeah. I, was, that was always one of my favorite characters he did. I really liked it. That was a fun and, character. Uh, yeah. The Italian talk show host. Vinny Vedecci. Yeah. And, and, the the running gag on there was that the host would be playing themselves, but they'd always be like, "Oh, oh I'm sorry, I don't speak Italian." And so the yeah. the host has no idea what's happening on this Italian talk show. He doesn't understand the format or anything, and and it, it's right. just a very absurdist kind of piece. But very, yeah. I, I don't know if for sure if this was the first time that Bill Hader did it, but it seemed like it was an early time. It seemed like people weren't too familiar with that sketch, you know? Yeah, I think it was maybe one of the earlier times he did it. Uh, and also, we get to see uh, Will Forte's pitch a, a sketch for uh, this Empire Carpet. It's because it's, it's a sketch revolving around the Empire uh, Carpet jingle, you know, 200 yeah. Empire. Yeah. And uh, it's. Uh, are those national commercials or do they only air in the New York City area? I don't even know. I think they, yeah, I think it's only a tri state thing. If you're not in the tri state area, you'd be like, what? I don't get it. 
Yeah, okay. Because I was wondering, I was like, is this joke totally lost on people not from New York City or the surrounding areas? And yeah. <laughs> sure enough, it is. And sure enough, it is. Um, and we, we also have Franco like talking to some of the cast members one-on-one. -on -one. He talks to Bill Hader because that was his original focus. You also see him talking to people like Fred Armisen and Bobby Moynihan. And, and Bobby Moynihan, it's like his literally his 10th show. So this is Bobby Moynihan's first season, and it's and it's funny to look at somebody who, with Bobby Moynihan, he hasn't been on the show for quite some time at this point, but here he's like the fresh-faced new guy, just struggling yeah, absolutely. Like, on the air. Yeah, I think when we when they interviewed him, like he was like smoking out, smoking a cigarette out the window, and we were like, yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm just trying to get my stuff on, man. I don't know, because they're they're high up on the. Uh, on Thirty Rock, I I forget what room, what floor the writers' uh, rooms are on. It's like the fifteenth floor or something like that. But it's I I remember it's several floors away from from Eight H where they tape the show. Uh, but yeah, everybody's smoking and they're just kind of ashing out the window. Um, right. Because like uh, yeah. So then after they do the pitches, then uh, Tuesday rolls around and it's them. It's the them writing the sketch and then they have like twenty four hours to pretty much have a completed sketch ready for a uh, table. Yeah, yeah. And we see uh, we see some other writers for the show. We see uh, Simon Rich, who was only like 23 at the time. He's gone on to uh, great success. He's he's had um, he's had uh, essays at, in The New Yorker. He's published two novels, three collections of humor pieces. Uh, and he was a staff writer for Pixar. And he's he also created the FXX show Man Seeking Woman. Ooh, la dee da. Oh yeah, impressive career that Simon Rich has had there, and he's he's just kind of at the beginning of his career. But I mean, starting out writing writing for SNL, that's that's a hell of a pedigree. Yeah. Wait. So who was he writing with? Was he writing with a particular um, uh, cast member? I don't know if he was partnered with somebody in particular. I I have his name here. He was. I think he was. He was working on the Vinny Viducci sketch with Bill Hader. Okay. Because I have All his right, name. That's something else. Bill Hader. Oh, gotcha. Because that's something else we kind of learned too. That where, uh, I mean, we something we always knew, but like you know, cast members usually partner up with a writer. Uh, we get to see like John Mulaney and Bill Hader writing together, and they seem to John be having Mulaney. a <laughs> John Mulaney. Writing with yes. Bill Hader as you do. <laughs> they seem to be having a ball together. They were like cracking each other up. Hader and John Mulaney, it is just a love fest with those two. They are cracking each other up every few seconds. It's it's a hoot, and actually, like they also, um, Frank also talks to uh, Casey Wilson, and she kind of has the thing to say where it's like, oh, you know, asking somebody to write with you is like asking someone on a date because it's just very yeah, awkward. I, I, that quote uh, struck me. Uh, yeah, that was that was a great analogy because if you're a new cast member, especially, you're not gonna, uh, you don't have a great chance of getting on the show unless you partner up with a writer to write something for you or to write something with you. Because really, all the cast members on SNL are basically writers as well, um, and, yeah, and and so yeah, so Casey Wilson, she she only spent like I think a year on the show, um, so she's she's still trying to kind of find her footing on the show, and yeah, and you can tell she's not having the the best time of it. She's she's having kind of a tough time, and and you, you can kind of look at this and be like, oh yeah, I can kind of see why. I mean, you know, she she's 
and it's not because she's untalented or unfunny or anything, but it's just sometimes it's tough to navigate that environment. Yeah, no, Casey Wilson's hilarious. Like, uh, I mean, I don't know if, if any if anybody out there has ever seen um, Happy Endings, the show she did after SNL, but she's really right. funny, and, and that's a really yeah, funny yeah. show. That's a big cult sitcom, I know. And yeah, uh, Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, yeah, Happy Endings is a hoot. It's like it's a uh, it's on Hulu if you want to see it. It's it's very rapid, rap, rapid fire jokes, very fast paced comedy, but it's also really smart and well done. And the cast has great chemistry throughout it. And um, Casey Wilson's great on it, but like she never really clicked on that show like she did on SNL. And like throughout the documentary, you kind of see pieces of that, like that part I just said where it says like asking a writer write with you is like you know asking out on a date and then there's something we'll probably talk about later at the table read where she pitches a joke and it doesn't quite uh hit. yeah yeah i i want to back up a little bit there's another writer i want to mention uh uh doug uh abels i hope i'm saying that right he's a weekend update writer and he he just has to like most of weekend update is written later in the week so it's as topical as possible but he's trying to write jokes based on the news and we see him at his computer and he's like just kind of filling up a page. And at one point he just says, well, the, you know, he comes up with a joke and he says, that's a page filler. So it at least looks like I'm productive. And <laughs> I, I love that moment because it was like, yeah, it, SNL, it's showbiz, but it can also be like any other day job where you're just, you're kind of goofing off at work or you're just trying to look more productive than you actually are. And, yeah, you know, and, and it's on. Yeah, it's big time national television. Yeah, it's like an office job. Like when your boss walks around, you minimize that little window you have up where you're playing Minesweeper or whatever. Yeah, then, yeah. I mean, that, I mean that that I thought was was something else. Um, but uh, yeah, we we see we follow people through the Tuesday night writing session where they they are going all night to get these scripts out and. We see people coming in on Wednesday, and and like Bill Hader's like, oh yeah, I fell asleep at uh, like eight a.m., and somebody else is like, I fell asleep at like ten, and I got like an hour or two of sleep. And this is just the schedule of the show. This is everybody's resigned to it. Yeah, and uh, like something I didn't I didn't know the a fact they put up where it says, you know, they're gonna write about fifty sketches, and out of those fifties, only nine will make it. So and there's like, was that? I just said, yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah, so like, you know, there are thousands and thousands of sketches that we've never seen that just, just fall into the wayside. I mean, the fact that they have to like trim the fat like that is pretty crazy. It's a pretty incredible attrition rate. And yeah, I mean, sometimes sketches get cut and, and they resurface later. Like uh, the probably the most recent famous example would be the Diner Lobster sketch that John Mulaney wrote when he was a writer for the show. And he brought back when he, the first time he hosted the show. And that's become sort of a uh, series, one of his trademarks of when he hosts the show. He does a, a sketch in the diner lobster tradition. Yeah, yeah, very much so. That's become his uh, his calling card now. But uh, but it, but it's fun to see an equal amount of people working hard on the show and just goofing off because you know sometimes when you go yeah. you come up with cool ideas that way. We see Kristen Wiig and Paula Pell just playing with the ultimate fart soundboard. <laughs> yeah, it's like literally just like a couple, like two minutes of straight up fart noises <laughs> at yeah. one point. Yeah. Which um, uh, I, I appreciate. And we have uh, uh, Catrice Barnes, 
who was the uh, SNL musical director uh, and the pianist from 2001 to 2009. And <laughs> John Mulaney is talking to her about for for a sketch that's parroting like Judy Bloom, and uh, it's the lost works of Judy Bloom, and we we see Keenan Thompson recording a vocal for it, and 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 she's kind of tasked with turning this into a song. Right. Yeah. We see she had like a whole studio set up in there, like you mm -hmm. know, like microphones and keyboards and stuff. I'm like, ooh, it's fancy. Wow. It's really impressive, actually. I I googled a few of the people, like some of the writers' names and people I wasn't familiar with, and I uh, unfortunately found out that uh, Catrice Barnes she she passed away last year in August of 2019 at the age of 56. She had a uh, decades-long battle with breast cancer. Oh wow! Uh, but I saw that I saw a news item about it. Uh, there's a there's a piece about her on Essence's website, and Seth Meyers and John Mulaney both. Uh, well, Seth Meyers tweeted about it, and John Mulaney posted about it on Instagram. And she was she was an Emmy Award winner too. And they both talked about how talented she was and how she, what a great job she did with all their sort of half formed notions that she turned into music. Oh wow, that is sorry to hear. I didn't know that. Wow, rest in peace. Yeah, yeah, I I hadn't heard of her before that, so I was just like, hey, what's she up to now? And yeah, I unfortunately found that. But uh, tip of the hat to Catrice uh, Barnes and rest in peace. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But um, we also see Seth Meyers just talking about how the schedule of the show gets to him. And he says, like, he, he can't really sleep. He has dreams about comedy and how he should be working. <laughs> and he basically has comedy fever dreams <laughs> where uh, he, he wakes up with an idea and he's like, well, maybe that's funny. And then he realizes once he fully wakes up, no, that's not funny. At that point, I think you need a vacation. I'm I'm gonna say it. Look, I love I love comedy as much as the next show, but I mean, when at, when you reach that level, you you might be like, you know what? Maybe maybe we'll go to Epcot Center. Maybe I'll take a day off. But, but I mean, you know, the show is it's just a grind, man. And uh, somebody said once in the the live from New York book, I forget who said this, but they were like, yeah, I mean, the show's hours. They were. They came up with them on the in the seventies when everybody was doing cocaine. So <laughs> stay up all night on Tuesday, and it's much easier to stay up all night on Tuesday when you're doing cocaine. Yeah, now only like half of them do cocaine. So I mean, something's got to change. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, so uh, allegedly, uh, allegedly, let's just allegedly, say allegedly, we we have no idea who does or does not do cocaine, but. Um, so we move into Wednesday after the all night writer session. It starts out with a producer's meeting. Um, and we, we still have people like fine tuning the sketches. Um, right. you know, we, we the, see, producers, the producers determine the order, the script order for the table read. Right, right. And we, we see them, you know, everybody has submitted their scripts and they're, they're getting copies of the scripts out to everybody so that everybody can do the table read. And we see, we see some of the cast members that we hadn't seen in the film yet so far, like uh, Keenan Thompson and Jason Sudeikis. Um, yes. And, and Keenan, Keenan Thompson. His little crayon below him says, you know, Keenan Thompson, cast member, 2003, present. And that's still true. It was true 10 years ago, <laughs> but it's still true today. Still holds up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He'll never leave. Anyway, he will, will not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and, th and this is where we have Seth Meyers saying, like, 
hey, should I write up, should I write the jacuzzi? <laughs> and I just wanted to go, you're the <laughs> head writer, Seth Myers. <laughs> How are you not writing the idea that you had? I think, yeah, I think it was, like he said, it was like that, like Will Forte said, that was the 50% bullshit. It was just something he just kind of thought of on the fly because it's a clever pun. And yeah, then, yeah. like, he thought about it and was like, oh. I wonder if it's a sketch in that clever pun. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, sometimes that is, sometimes you just back into good stuff without even realizing it or meaning to. So it, it was kind of, in, it, it was half distressing, half inspiring to see Seth Meyers operate like that. Yeah, it's, uh, it was something else. And you, you'd think the head writer of SNL would be more disciplined or, or I, I don't want to say more organized, but I mean, it's it's just funny to see. It's really no different, no matter what level you are at. You know, you still just yeah. fall into stuff. Yeah, that's uh, the way of the world, my friend. But um, but we have Casey Wilson, who uh, she performs a sketch at the uh, at the read through with uh, Bobby Moynihan. She's doing like a show tune. I forget what what number they were singing. Do you remember? Uh, I believe it was all that jazz. That that was it. Yes, they were they were doing like a Bob Fosse thing. Yeah, and it just does not go well. And and Casey Wilson is just talking about it after the fact and saying, yeah, I mean, it was like bombing on page one, and then I was like, and I have six pages to go, and I made a horrible mistake. And uh, that that's that's a, that part I was like, oh no. And then like then they um when they when they talked to Casey Wilson before this. Where she kind of said something that was very revealing, which said, like, um, you know, you have all this confidence before you get on the show, and then you get the show, which should be like a validation to you. But then you're surrounded by all these people who are sort of acting and writing and operating on this whole nother level that you never right. knew existed. And then you immediately compare yourself to them because you can't help but not to. And then you have zero confidence. I yeah, like, oh, was, I mean that was a really insightful quote, and and it was really cool that she she was willing to open up like that. I mean, yeah. and it shows that, I mean, imposter syndrome. It is it is a thing. It will follow you everywhere, man. That's right. There's, there's no getting away from it. Yeah, and uh, so, so like so when she said you that, know, you, you think everybody who's on SNL, you're you're just like, wow, they've got it made. But it's a high stress environment, man. Yeah, because uh, I mean, you, get, you got to think about that. Where you think you're this amazing actor and this amazing improver, but then you get into a room where you're with the best of the best, and then you find out like you're like compared to them, you're average because yeah. like you're because like you're competing against the person who's the best of the best from this city, or the best of the best from this country, or the best from the best of uh, this town, or the, wherever. Like you know, you're competing with the best and the best from every everywhere, and so if you're all the best of the best, then you're all kind of just okay. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but you have to realize at some point that probably everybody in that room is feeling that to some degree or another. You know, even even yeah. somebody who's like, oh yeah, no, I don't, I don't have any confidence problems. It's, yeah, you do. You're just pretending you don't. Um, <laughs> like at, at one, yeah, we're all we see Andy Samberg just being very self-deprecating. He was just like, I don't particularly consider myself an actor. I, he was like, I can tell a dick joke pretty well. And, yeah. and this, like, this is young, bushy-haired Andy Samberg. And it was kind of funny to see that Andy Samberg because you know now he's, he's slightly more adult. He's been on Brooklyn Nine-Nine for a number of years. And, and it's weird to look back 
uh, 12 years now and just see young, fresh-faced Andy Samberg, who, who he's kind of figured it out, but he hasn't quite all figured it out, and he doesn't 100% believe him in himself yet. Yeah, he's like all shaggy-haired. I mean, later on mm -hmm. in the documentary, he says something about how like he's always liked comedy over drama. He feels like, you know, because comedy, that's how he feels like he's worthwhile socially. Like yeah. whenever, like when he's in social situations, he could just lean on comedy and get through it. Like when, and he feels like whenever he tries to do drama, he's he gets embarrassed, and he feels like you know, just because he feels like he shouldn't be taken seriously, or people don't take him seriously, like in a drama, so just they should be, you know, making fun with of him and laughing with him, like in a comedy, which is very revealing. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was interesting to hear him say that because I've seen like Brooklyn Nine Nine. I I'm a big, big fan of that show. And he's had some dramatic moments on there, and he, and he is a pretty good actor, you know. He 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 do, nails those well, and he's also a producer on that show. So it's really oh. interesting because he's so come into his own uh, these days. It's it's weird to look back and see what he was like and where he was at twelve years ago. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's uh, something else. Our, our little boys all grows up. But uh, we we talk. Uh, we we see this Casey Wilson sketch not do uh, well, sadly, and then and then it just we have a black screen just says three hours and forty sketches later. <laughs> but yeah, and, but some of the sketches we we see some of the sketches do do on the table read, like the uh, the Empire Carpet sketch actually did really well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was Will Forte uh, and John Malkovich going back and forth, and Will Forte is like this very demanding director saying, you know, do it again, 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 and John Malkovich ends up having this emotional breakdown doing the, you know, da, 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 da. I, I can't remember the jingle, but uh, uh, two, three hundred empire. Right. Um, yeah, it's and, basically and, like, and it uh, like a very funny sketch. Yeah, it basically looked like um, the movie Whiplash, but mm -hmm. with the Empire Carpet commercial. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and and it's and then after they do the read through. Uh, John Malkovich has this private meeting with Lorne and the head writers and the producers and stuff, and they're picking which sketches they want to move forward with. And right. it's it's kind of incredible because you you have John Malkovich analyzing fart jokes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which that's is to, I mean that's a sketch in itself. Just just put the camera on John Malkovich analyzing fart jokes, and that's that's enough entertainment. Yeah, just be like, how how can we how can this fart be funnier? I mean, I, I can't really do a Malkovich impression, but just him and his very just restrained, almost monotone voice, it is hilarious. Yeah, I mean, my Malkovich is basically uh, Bill Hader's Malkovich. He was like, oh, yeah. I'm John Malkovich. Um, and uh, so so then we move on to Thursday, weeks flying by. We got uh, Don Roy King, who is the director of the show, if I remember correctly. Uh, and they're they have a big production meeting where it's we see the guys working out all the technical issues with the sketches, like uh, Seth Meyers' uh, dangerous liaisons and a jacuzzi idea, jacuzzi, um, and they're working out the the mechanics of of getting a hot tub or building a hot tub there. And yeah, I mean that's something I never even thought about. Yeah, I mean, and they have to consider, you know, how do how do you physically do that? Is the hot tub going to be too noisy? Is it, uh, I mean, yeah, there's all sorts of things like that. And we have, um, we see Joel 
uh, Detulio, who is the SNL art director, and he's talking about how all the sets are built there at their workshop, and then they're folded into the studio. And you know that's incredible when yeah. you think they're designing and building this stuff within like a two-day span. Yeah, yeah, it's really pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Like the way you just have to build a set out of, I mean, just out of nothing. And yeah. I don't know. I, I think they also mentioned it somewhere too, where they say like, you know, that you even have to build a sketch for. I mean, you build a set for a sketch that may not even get on the air. So like, you built a exactly. set. And they'll be like, oh, wait, no, we cut the sketch. So it's like, but, but I have this built set for it. Again, because, yeah, they're writing 50, and only nine of those are going to get on the air, ultimately. I mean, they they're narrow it down to, I don't know what it is for, for dress, and then they narrow that down uh, even more before the, the live show. Um, so so while the production team, they're working on all these technical aspects, we, we also have the rewrite room, and we see Seth Meyers in there. With some other writers like uh, like John Lutz, um, who writes for Late Night with Seth Meyers now, and he was also a recurring uh, character on Thirty Rock, basically playing himself, only hey, in the back version. And, uh, and and Paula Pell has a very funny uh, riff about uh, growing teeth in your armpits and just weird body <laughs> things. Oh Lord, yeah, that was <laughs> it's so weird to hear about. Like people talking about stuff like that just in a, a work setting. It's like, oh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's one of those moments where like being a professional comedy writer seems really, really cool. Yeah. I think there was like one scene that I really dug where, because uh, they were talking about the Judy Bloom sketch. Mm -hmm. And then they were just kind of riffing on things that they could have John Malkovich say about, you know, because really? John Malkovich is playing like a teenage girl going, her body's going through a change. And mm -hmm. like they were just tossing out tags, like, "Hey, your your pubic hair grows out to your hip, right?" Right, right, right. Oh no, my pubic hair has the consistency of a Brillo pad. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. And it's just you see the writers and they're riffing with each other and they're they're trying to top each other. That's that's great. That's so much fun to see. Right. Yeah, and it's interesting to see like the like how you know uh, you know the the producers and whatnot go through the script because like at one point. Uh, they were doing the rehearsal for the Vinnie Vedetti sketch, and then there's one word as that Seth made up for the sketch for um, Bill Hayer to say uh, Fagula, and they they went back to oh, like somebody flagged that word because it, it looked <laughs> right. broadcast standards and practices like said oh, they they cautioned on a word that Seth had literally made up, but I guess they just thought it sounded dirty or they wanted to make sure that they weren't getting an innuendo by them. Right, uh, no, I think because it's, it's uh, I think, yeah, because it's written F-A-G-U-L-A, and I mm. guess maybe because it, it looks like uh, a slur or something. But right, they, right. Like they, they flagged and I was like, wow, that, that got by them? Interesting. That's funny. And I gotta say, Seth Myers, he seems like a really good boss to have. I, I like whenever I've seen him in behind the scenes stuff, he seems like he he seems like a good-tempered, good-humored guy and he seems like he would be a decent guy to work for. Yeah, I mean, I know like a lot of people give Seth Meyers, you know, guff cuz they say, "Oh, he's too vanilla and he's too like ho-hum and humdrum." I mean, you know, that's that's Joseph's territory. But but <laughs> Seth, <laughs> Seth seems like a good dude. Yeah, Seth, he does seem like a good dude. Uh, um, by the way, speaking of Colin Jost, you mentioned him. I did hear Jost's name like mentioned in passing. I don't think he ever pops up in the documentary, but 
But when they're gathering the scripts for the read through, somebody was like, oh, yeah, Joseph is going to turn this thing in in a minute. And I was like, hey, Colin Joseph. I did not. I did not. I need. I didn't miss that. Yeah. Well, it's it's I just. Not. I mean, blink and you miss it, or, or you won't hear it. <laughs> but yeah. But All it was right. just like, well, that must have been, just been around the time that Colin Jost was starting out of the show because I he came to the show like right out of college, if I remember correctly. Uh, right at the uh, the illustrious uh, National Lampoon. I believe so. Yes. Um. So then Harvard. now. It is, it is Friday before we know it, and um, towards the end of the week, we're nearly at show day, and uh, it was around this point in the documentary that I started to notice there are not a lot of the female SNL cast members in this thing. Did you notice that? I did notice that. Um, yeah, I think at this point, it was Kristen Wiig, uh, Casey Wilson, uh, Michaela Watt. Uh, and Abby Elliott were the main yes. ones. I think. Yeah. Was uh, Amy Poehler still there, or was she kind of? I I looked out? it up. Amy Poehler was still in the cast at this point, and she was actually co still co-hosting Weekend Update with Seth Meyers. But I don't think I saw her in this doc at all, and it just made me wonder. I was like, okay, maybe for whatever reason, Amy Poehler didn't give permission for her stuff to be used in the doc. Uh, I don't know because it seems I don't know if like James Franco would consciously cut her out for some reason. I, I can't believe that Amy Poehler didn't give him any usable material or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe Amy Poehler yeah. didn't want to be in the dock in the dock for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, part of me thinks, well, maybe they maybe they didn't all the female cast members didn't want to be in the dock or they, they didn't want to be interviewed. But I don't know. I mean, and plus the only person we do see get interviewed and talk to a lot is, you know, the female cast member is uh, Casey Wilson. And, you know, she's yeah. not kind of painted in the greatest of light. I mean, I mean, they just kind of show she's kind of, you know, her insecurities and her floundering on the, you know, yeah, I mean, table. I, I didn't the best dislike light. Casey Wilson in this. I mean, I and I actually was I'm a little more favorably inclined to her now. I didn't dislike her before, but. I, I admired that she was so open about her insecurities and her vulnerabilities on being on the show because I'm sure being on the SNL is not a uh, easy thing. It would have been nice no, to see no, more no. Of, of other members, cast members like Mikhail Watson and Abby Elliott, uh, if only because their uh, their tenures on the show were so short. But I'm I'm really surprised like Kristen Wake's not in this a whole lot. And she was she'd yeah. been on the show for a couple of years by this point. She she started on the show. I looked it up uh, in November of uh, uh, twenty oh six. So I don't know what the deal is there. Yeah, like I mean, I think um, even in that when they're doing the Friday uh, run through, she was reprising one of her famous characters, the Shannon character. That's like the mm -hmm. um, you know Marilyn Monroe, the buxom. Type of type of lady, yeah, real the real so. breathy Marilyn Monroe, and it, very funny stuff. Um, actually, I misspoke a minute ago. It was she started on SNL November twelfth, two thousand five. So she'd been on the show for about three years by this point. And yeah, so, so like yeah. she would have definitely hit by this point. So I'm kind of surprised that she's not featured more. But maybe they just wanted to. I again, I can't, I can't imagine that that's a conscious. Uh, it's not a. I don't know. 
I, I really want to know what the story is. I wish there was a documentary filmmaker filming James Franco around doing his documentary. <laughs> the documentary behind the documentary. Yeah, yeah, because I want to find out what the behind the scenes is there. And, I mean, Amy Poehler not being on it, that's really something else. And I, yeah. don't, want, I don't want to speculate about, like, what might have gone on because we really don't have any information. But it's, Yeah, I mean, it might have been one of those things I mean, it might be one of the things where, like uh, Franco said, he, he he originally wanted to do the doc about Bill Hader, and maybe just I don't know, maybe it's one thing he just feels more comfortable talking to the bros and the guys rather than. But yeah, maybe still, I don't not, know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, is it is it an unconscious bias thing? Is it does he intentionally cut them out? Did they not want to be in it? It could be any one of those things. It could be a combination of those things. Who knows? And I if wish anybody wants to make a document. If anybody wants to make a documentary about this documentary, get to the. The root exactly. Exactly. Let's find out what went down at SNL 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah um, let's do it. Here, here. But uh, we, oh, and another thing I really like that happened mm -hmm. on um, on a Friday when um, when uh, Franco talks to Steve Higgins. And yeah, I was he... just about to mention him. What? Yep. Get out of here. Well, I mean, Steve Higgins. If you don't know, he's uh, he was a longtime producer on the show. I didn't write down his years, but. Um, I don't believe he's with the show anymore. He might come back occasionally to to write some stuff. But he, uh, you might know him now. He's uh, like uh, the announcer on Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show. Yeah, that's a that's a weird uh, career move, but I don't know. He seems to like it. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, Jimmy Fallon, he's doing the Tonight Show. Seth Meyers is doing the Light Show, and I know they both brought uh, people that they worked with on SNL with them. So I think it's just kind of a like a comfort level thing. I'm, yeah, I'm sure he so. writes yeah, for Fred the Armisen. Now. Yeah, wasn't Fred Armisen like the band leader for uh, Seth Meyers for like the well, first few years? Well, or so? periodically he he comes on and he'll he'll play the drums. Oh, um, that's nice. But yeah, I I thought Steve Hagen's had some really insightful things to say about the show because he's he's just been a part of that machine for so long. He just really knows how it works. Um, he he said uh, to Franco, he's like, you know, if you're not going to surrender to the process, then you can you can learn nothing or do nothing. And he's he's like, you know, like if you're if you're going to an acting class and you're like, well, I'm not going to be a tree. Well, you're not going to learn anything in that acting class. You have to. You have to surrender yourself to the process, and I thought that was that was really neat. And right. like he he had another uh, quote that I wrote down saying that uh, with like ninety percent people, like whatever cast was on when you were in high school or or junior high, that was the best cast. Yeah, that's pretty. I mean, that's pretty much true. From what uh, I mean, like you know, and what junior high? So I was what uh, early nineties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, like uh, one of my favorite eras is the Phil Hartman, Dana Carvey year. So, right, yeah. right. And uh, I started watching the show really faithfully right around the time I entered high school, around '86 or so. And that was that was right in the uh, the Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, uh, John Lovitz years. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of truth to that. That is still probably my all time favorite cast. So, I think I think Steve Hagen's dead on the money there. Yeah, story checks out. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and also another thing he said, which I really dug, was um, like how you get points for trying here. Like if you're a perfectionist, yes. if you're a perfectionist, don't come here because nothing is ever perfect. Yeah, I mean that was really something else to hear too. 
which is, yeah, I mean, people are more forgiving of SNL because it is a live show and they realize it's not going to be letter perfect. It's not going to be like a polished sketch that you'd find on, I don't know, Key or Peel or, or SCTV or or any number yeah, of other Mad TV or yeah. It is, yeah, it no, is something I, that they throw together inside of a week, and that's that's something else. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Uh, then, of course, they went. They 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 caught to go on, and they show the other things they're doing on Friday. Um, they show like the little digital short. They talk to Andy Samberg about you know jizz in my pants. Which for to me, jizz in my pants is fantastic sketch. That's yeah, that amazing. was that was something else. Um, now looking it up on the information on the show that. Okay, Jizz in My Pants did air as part of the show this week, but it's funny. It's like we're probably an hour into the dock at this point, and it really makes you realize how much the Lonely Island just kind of went off and did their own thing when they were on the show. Yeah. Because just all of a sudden, we see this finished video of Jizz in My Pants, and, the, and they're not talking about like, oh, hey, I've written this song. We're going to shoot this video or anything like that. It's not even mentioned. Yes, yeah, it's already done, ready to go. We just suddenly see this polished thing, and it's like, oh, yeah, while all this live TV stuff is going on, the Lonely Island is going off and doing a hilarious song and a funny video, and they're just <laughs> yeah, doing dude, that. I, that. I mean, that was something else. Dude, I kept that song on heavy road. It's, I mean, not only is it funny, but it's genuinely a really good song. Like, I played that on, on – that was on heavy rotation in my uh, CD player for quite some time. Banging tune, man. Um, it it slapped, as the kids said. Exactly, exactly. And speaking of banging tunes, there's there's this one bit where it's Bill Hader. Uh, he starts doing impressions, and he does an impression of Prince singing "I Would Die for You." But right, right, right. Michael puts up uh, uh, captioning on the screen saying, "Like, oh, we couldn't get to the rights of the song, so we had to mute the audio." But like, this is really funny. And I'm like, well, if you couldn't get the damn song, why are you including it in the movie? Yeah, that that made no sense. I was like, I, <laughs> if you can't, yeah, exactly. It's like, I like, why why are you putting this in here if we can't hear the joke? Yeah, I mean, he's just—it's literally just telling us about a joke that we cannot really witness. We just see, you just see Bill Hader with no audio, lip syncing to that, and it's just really weird. I don't understand why he kept yeah. it in the movie. I mean, I'm I'm sure it was funny in the moment, but it's not funny in the movie. So, yeah, that that could have uh, that could have been taken out. I mean, it's good to see Bill Hader doing like impressions of like he did an impression of uh, Seth, Seth Rogen right. and and Willem Dafoe that were pretty spot on. But yeah, right. and the Willem Dafoe impressions really cracking up Franco because he did the Spider Man movies with Willem Dafoe. So, yeah, so. It's yeah, but that Prince thing is like yeah, we you can. I'm glad you like it, but we can't hear it. So yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like somebody telling me about some great trip they took to the amusement park, and it's like, well, okay, it's nice you had a good time, but I'm not there at the amusement park with you, so I can only care so much, you know. Exactly. I'm glad you had a good time on the Wonder Wheel, but I wasn't there. I was at work, so I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, oh, and also another thing that I really liked that they did, uh, they went out to the standby line that they mm -hmm. showed outside, yeah. and uh, they talked to a man. They found one guy who had been who had seen the show, who was online for the, you know for tonight's show, and he had seen Saturday Night Live 
over like 563 times. Yeah. He went to the first show in 1975. He said the, the first one that uh, with uh, George Carlin and uh, Janice Ian. Yeah, that's insane. Nuts, right? And and he was like, oh, yeah, I got here at 1.30 p.m. Friday afternoon to line up. Yeah, it's dude, sir, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, we would love to have you on our podcast. Yeah, we, we re- typically record on Sundays, so you may be sleeping it off. But uh, right. <laughs> yeah, we, I don't think they give his name in, in the doc. But uh, yeah, hopefully he's still around. Hopefully he's still going to SNL. That would be yeah. good to talk to him. I'm sure our friends at the SNL uh, standby line know who that person is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe we can, uh, we can hook it up. I mean, he'll have to make his own way out here. We don't provide uh, accommodations or lodging or transportation. But, uh, you know, no. still, come, come on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get you a soda. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't make, don't make bold promises like that. He will get you a half drunk soda. Better. Um, but, but seeing the uh, the the dress rehearsal, I mean, it's really something else. It's like, you like we're seeing John Malkovich in his dangerously liaisons regalia. In a hot tub, and this is just something that that Seth Meyers apparently came up off the top of his head on Monday, and then four days later, it is physically happening. That is yeah. that is insane, right? When you when you just see it like that, yeah, it's. That uh, is I, I mean, again, like we've seen sketches where, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, did they did they just think of this thing on the fly? Because it, it seems like it's all written around one little joke. And just seeing this documentary, it's like, yeah, that's probably exactly what happened. It was just written around one little joke. And now it's like, uh, it's it's come to fruition. It really makes you realize, like, even even a sketch that, like, you and I might watch and be like, oh, that wasn't too funny. And then you know, we record our podcast the next day and we just go, eh, that one wasn't too funny. That didn't work for me. There's still a massive amount of work that goes into even that sketch. Yeah, they built a working jacuzzi. Yes, yes. And we're not saying that the, the Jacuzzi sketch isn't funny. It looks very funny. I don't remember this sketch. I'm sure I watched this show at the time, but I don't remember this sketch in specific. But, yeah, it's, it seems pretty nuts. But is it is incredible. So, um, but next we have, we have Saturday. We have the final day. We've got the final rehearsals. Uh, it starts out 10 hours before showtime at 1.30 p.m., we see the people rehearsing. Now they're in costumes. They're they're timing the sketches to make sure that that they know how long every sketch is for for the live show because you have to time it very very carefully. Right, and uh, there's a dress rehearsal first too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and they do the dress rehearsal, and then we learn that the Empire carpet sketch gets cut. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, uh, and we see like them further rehearsing the 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 Judy Bloom sketch, and and somebody at one point asked John Malkovich, who was like, "Did your daughter read the Judy Bloom books?" And John Malkovich just goes, uh, "She was always reading things like a million little pieces," which <laughs> that is that may just be the most John Malkovich sentence that's ever been uttered. Pretty much, yeah. I'm not that's, doing that's the justice because I don't have a, a John Malkovich impression in my back pocket, but uh, she was always reading things like a million little pieces. That's not bad. That's not bad. I'm working on it. I'm working you're, on you're, it. It's improving. I'm seeing the improvement. Um, I've been working on it during the quarantine. So yes, yes. 
Uh, good use of your time. Uh, but we're also seeing the uh, we're seeing the first weekend update rehearsal because, as we said before, they write weekend update very last minute uh, to keep it as topical as possible. So they don't really finalize it until uh, the Saturday of the show, and that's something to see. And again, Amy Poehler doesn't show up <laughs> like to just watch this documentary cold. You'd you'd think that Seth Meyers was already hosting update by himself. Yeah, it's weird. Like you do see Amy Poehler in one scene, really, for like a for like a second. Huh. But for the most part, she's not in it. I don't understand why she didn't talk. I really want to find out what the story is there. I wonder if she's ever gone on record about that. Um, I don't know. Again, don't know. Doc on the dock. Yeah, I know, Doc on the dock. Um, but we see Fred Armisen. He's rehearsing like this Mick Jagger type character that he's gonna do in a weekend update piece. Um, what do you think of Fred Armisen in this stock? We haven't really talked about him in this. Um, I, don't, I mean, they do talk to him. He seems to be kind of maybe like in his own world. I mean, I won't say in his own world, but he he, he yeah. takes it very. He seems to take, take comedy very seriously. Seems like he's not. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go on. No, I like like it's from what I gathered. Like you know, people like Hader and uh, Sudeikis are a little bit more, you know. Lucy Goosey and yeah. you know with the jokes, but that they, but they do get serious when it comes to it. But Fred Armisen seems to be more kind of serious about it than most, or he seems yeah, he, to be seems to be more focused, like almost on on the to the point of being pretentious, you know. Yes, yes, I I, I don't want to say it, but I'm glad you said it. Oh, I mean, he said the word early on, and I can't remember the exact context, but he was like, "Oh, I don't want to come off as pretentious," and I'm thinking, like, "Well, you kind of do, Fred," um, <laughs> and. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to bash Fred Armisen. I'm sure he's a very nice guy, but yeah, he he comes off a a little on the pretentious side in this doc. Yeah, no, I could see that. He, he he's uh, I mean, he's not like totally full of himself. There's a a whiff of pretentiousness, as as yeah. you said. Yeah. Um, but we see him uh, rehearsing a sketch with John Malkovich, where they they're these two brothers who are getting. Uh, calculators for Christmas or their birthday, and they're they're all excited about getting calculators, like more excited than anyone has ever been to receive a calculator. And it looks like a fun yeah. Match. yeah, and they both have like kind of that like kind of Brooklyn Arnold Horshack voice. Is it a calculator? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh my yeah, God. yeah, it's, it's like that. Type and, of and that looked like a funny sketch. Um, oh, a, another great quote from Steve Higgins that I wrote down, where he he was talking about the fact that Lauren Michaels is the originator of the show is still running the show. And he said, it's like working for Henry Ford instead of the Ford Motor Company. And wow. yeah, that's a great quote, man. Um, and, and he also talked about how the show sort of evolves because each cast reinvents the show. Like the, the show we're doing is not the show that Adam Sandler did uh, uh, 10 years ago. And, it's, and the show he did is not the show that Mike Myers did five, 10 years before that. So yeah, no, that's that's very true. Like the show, be, it morphs and becomes something different to a whole new generation of uh, people. And like watching this, because we've got twelve years distance from what the show was at this <laughs> point in time now. And I was like, man, this this show SNL was a lot weirder overall twelve years ago. It seems like because you know we had we had the Will Forte sketches, we had the Fred Armisen sketches, we had John Malkovich in, in a hot tub. 
just seemed like they were, they were going for more weird stuff than they typically do these days. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, they still go for weird stuff now. Like, yeah. uh, like uh, not too long ago, that whole uh, Wolfman teaching the acting class with the uh, what Chance the Rapper was in that episode, or you know, there there there've been sketches before that's been like kind of like, wait, what? That's kind of off the beaten path. I was doing my best to try and forget about that werewolf sketch, and you had to bring it back up for me. That's a very unpleasant memory. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. Moon. <laughs> Moon. Uh. Um, well, let's comedy okay. people. So they have the dress rehearsal. They cut. They cut sketches like the Empire carpet sketch, and then we're then between the dress and air. We've got uh, they. We go into Lauren's office for notes, and he's given performance right. notes. And uh, this was interesting. I mean, it's it's like that scene you've you've probably seen in other SNL news stories and stuff where they've got the index cards on the bulletin board, and they're trying to figure out the order and and what's in and what's out. And uh, that's neat to see. And it really made me realize that Lauren. When it comes to like performance and stuff like that, he's like the real director of the show. It seems like Don Roy King, he does more of the technical directing. You know, he's like, oh, we do this shot here, this shot here, this shot here. And he snaps because that's right. what directors do a lot. Um, yes. <laughs> he's like the DP, but Lauren is the director. Yeah. But Lauren is like, oh, you know, hold on that line a little longer and do do this a little more. You need to get to that punchline faster. Oh, wow. I mean, is Lauren Michaels on the podcast with us right now? Who yes, is that? yes, I know. I know. I can't do a John Malkovich, but I can do a, a Lauren Michaels because, well, I've seen Austin Powers and I know what Dr. Evil sounds like. <laughs> right. <laughs> But but I thought that was interesting. That was an insight I didn't really have into the show before. But no, um, absolutely. Like I didn't, I didn't know about the uh, final notes in Lauren's office either. But it's like, yeah, it does make sense if you think about it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, because they're they are always trying to make the show as good it can as it can be up until the last possible second. And then, as as they famously say, the show doesn't go on because it's ready. The show goes on because it's eleven thirty. <laughs> wow, that is, that is some that's a bar. Right and by the way, when you see uh, John Malkovich when he's like walking through the halls to go out to do his monologue, you can hear Amy Poehler's voice say "Live from New York." So she was in whatever the yeah. opening sketch was at the beginning of the show. Um, let me look it up. I, apparently, the, the the opening was a message from the Secretary of State delegate, a designate. So. Well, that sounds okay. <laughs> sounds like a real hoot. That sounds like a hoot nanny there. <laughs> but yeah, big comedy. But yeah, that's probably the most representation Amy Poehler has in in this thing. So yeah, it's still weird, but all right. But, uh, uh, but, but yeah, go ahead. Well, no, but then I was gonna say yeah. Then we go on to the show, and it's it is really impressive how. They show them go from sketch to sketch to sketch, where like the moment they're done with the sketch, like they have somebody to wrangle John Malkovich from one sketch, you know, walking through the back, uh, back of right. the set, uh, you know, change him out of his costume, put him into a new costume, and bring him right to another set. Yeah, and I mean, and that makes so much sense too that the that the host has a handler because you don't want the host like 
thinking they have to turn right when they really have to turn left and, right. and getting lost yeah, backstage like or missing a cue or something. Um, so it, so it's really smart of them to have somebody shadowing uh, Malkovich, the host throughout the show, and uh, being like, okay, you, you're going to go over here and you're going to change it. And, and we see him literally changing on the run. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. No, it's nuts. I remember a, a quote. I'll always remember this quote from Amy Poehler. I think it was a news uh, a magazine article about the show where she was talking about how they basically just change right there on the stage. They had just have secluded uh, uh, curtained off areas where they do that. But <laughs> because they have to do so many quick changes, she just said, we've all seen each other's kibbles and bits. Oh, that's <laughs> <so> sweet. <laughs> you know, I'm just, it's very much like a theater camp kind of mentality. Mm. Like you, you have to change quick and, you know, if somebody sees something that they wouldn't ordinarily see, so be it. Hey, we're all adults here, man. Don't, don't be ashamed of the human body. Exactly. Exactly. But, um, but uh, we see uh, the jacuzzi sketch and apparently that goes really well. And it's, uh, it is uh, in the breakdown that I'm seeing of the, uh, December 2008 show. It, it was the last sketch of the night. I'm assuming because everybody's all wet in it and <laughs> you can't really yeah. do a quick change after yeah. you get all wet in the jacuzzi. <laughs> yeah. They, they get wet. They get inside an actual working jacuzzi full of water. And ah. it's just like, wow, that's, that's a lot. And then like when we're seeing the good nights, we hear the Prince song that Franco said he couldn't get the rights to before. Did you notice you that? I didn't, I didn't even know that. Yeah, no, I didn't. They're playing "I Would Die for You" uh, at at the end of the Good Nights, and I was like, "What? What the hell, James Franco? You said you couldn't get the rights to this song. You you put up a black screen with everything." I didn't even. Wow, I, I got to go back and listen to that. Maybe NBC I feel, I feel was able to get that. by James Franco now. <laughs> you think he's not being truthful now? I don't know. He doesn't seem to be playing straight with us. I don't know what's going on. Oh, what's what is going on? Your documentary raises more questions than it answers, James Franco. We need a documentarian as a uh, documentarian to be following James Franco around at all times, just to make sure everything with him is on the up and up. You know, right? It's like how they made a documentary about uh, Apocalypse Now. This will exactly. Be right. I want the Hearts of Darkness about the production of this James Franco documentary. Yeah, is that too much to ask? I don't yeah. think so. No, but um, uh, and then we got uh, the closing credits. We and I really liked him ending on this note. Uh, after they do the show, the next Monday they come back and they do it all over again. And they've got a new host in there. They've got Hugh Laurie, and we hear writers pitching new ideas over the closing credits of the documentary. Yeah, and the the whole the circle of life it goes all it goes around and around. Yeah, I thought I thought that was really uh, a neat way to end it, and I, I really liked that he emphasized that this is just a continuously running machine. Yeah, I, I dug it too. I really like this documentary. It's definitely like uh, if I mean if you're an SNL nerd, this is yeah. there's no reason you should not see this. I mean, it definitely gives you like a really good hard look at how SNL is created. It's it's uh, really enlightening. It's really something else. I really enjoyed this. Um, uh, thank you again to Ruby the Rube for recommending this to us. This was really something to see. I believe it is It is still streaming on Hulu, isn't it? Is that right? 
Uh, no. Well, actually, so far, what this movie, what happened is, um, like, after they shot it, I think they de- it debuted in South by Southwest. Right. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it got bought up by Adam Adam Yauk's company, Oscilloscope. Okay. And I think it was going to be released in theaters, but, like, after he passed away, it, like, it got delayed for a while. And then right. in, in, like, 2014, it got put on Hulu. So it was on Hulu for a bit, but I, I think Hulu took it off recently. Okay. And now it just seems to be up on YouTube. We found it on YouTube and we were able to watch the entire thing uh, in preparation for this. So uh, just do a search for J- uh, Saturday Night James Franco and, y- and you will find it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's really pretty awesome. It, I got I to gotta say. Yeah. It is, it is definitely worth seeing. It's it's neat, and it. I have a little more insight into the show now, and and that's a rare thing. Right. See, so now when we complain about a sketch not being great, now we know, oh, wow, it wasn't great, but a lot of work went into that. Not so right, much. right. And and they left out the most vital part of the, uh, of the SNL pod, uh, process, which is this is something that didn't exist in, in 2008 or didn't exist as much where they come into work on Monday and then they listen to a couple of assholes on a podcast, like tear apart everything that they worked so hard on all week. Yeah. I don't know why they left that. I didn't get a call about, you know, me being allowing our, you know, our voices being in this. Wouldn't it be hilarious if like they did a documentary like this today and, and we literally saw like, some of the uh, writers or whoever listening to the podcast and listening to the stupid shit we say about their show, dude, that would that would make I I I'd walk away from the game. That would just make my life. I mean, you know, because our friend John Murray he he told us that yeah, there there are some people there who listen to to the podcast. So <laughs> oh wow, yeah, they are aware. I forget about that. Yeah, that makes me so happy. No, I know. I, well, it makes me happy, and it also kind of scares me. But <laughs> a little bit, yeah. That's why, like, with your Fred Armisen bashing, I, I kind of want to stay away from that. I, Fred Armisen, I'm I'm happy to work with you in any capacity. You, uh, if you have any future projects, please give me a mind. <sighs> Fred, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying you actually are pretentious. I'm just saying you appeared pretentious. May, maybe. Franco was editing you badly. I don't know. Like I said, I said he's probably a very nice guy in life. I know, I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just busting chat. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that's the weird thing about this docu- uh, documentary is, you know, we know from reality television and that sort of thing, you can edit something any old way to make somebody look like an asshole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's very true. Yeah. But uh, yeah, guys. I mean, Saturday night, great doc. Great, great find. Go see it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Very worth seeing. Very worth seeing. And um, so that was that's our show on Saturday night. On Saturday night. I keep wanting to say Saturday Night Live before they have it. Um, but uh, so what are we gonna do next week? We're still we're still all quarantined up. So next week, Darren. Yeah, we're still in the quarantine, the world's uh, dying around us, but we still we're still gonna be here. And uh we figure, well, we put up a poll last time, and we uh, the, uh, we put up a poll what to review. It, Austin Powers won, so maybe mm-hmm. we'll just go ahead and put do an episode about this 
the the runner up, the one that came in second, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk about Hot Rod. Hot Rod, starring Andy Samberg and the other guys from the Lonely Island, and also uh, uh, Isla Fisher, right? Isla Fisher's in it. Bill Hader's in it. Uh, Danny McBride's in it. Uh, and uh, uh, the dude from Deadwood, whose name I forget, Ian something. He is just billed as dude from Deadwood. <laughs> I'm sure he has a name, but I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, Ian McShane is who you're thinking of. I there. Think. That's the guy. Dude from Deadwood, though. <laughs> Dude from Deadwood. I thought okay. we all know him, right? Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing this. I've never seen Hot Rod. I know I've had a friend or two who uh, really is fond of it. And this is an old favorite of yours, right, Darren? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it. But I do remember liking it quite a bit. And, again, it's another Lonely Island movie that didn't do well in the box office but has a cult following. There's something with those Lonely Island movies. When they come out, they don't do well in the theaters but they are good and people do like them it's it's very odd well i think they're just kind of made for uh cult following stuff because they they do stuff that's a little quirky a little outside the norm and you know and that's fine there's there's room for comedies like that too so i'm looking forward to uh checking out hot rod uh next monday that's going to be fun it's going to be a hoot and uh yeah and so hot rod, uh i should say before we finish up it is uh, streaming currently on both Hulu and Netflix, so you guys can uh, check that out and uh, watch that along with us. Indeed, I think it's on Amazon Prime as well. Amazon Prime, okay. I, I was probably uh, I was going by memory, so I was probably wrong there. Amazon Prime and, and Netflix, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's our episode, guys. Um, if you want to follow me, you can. On uh, Twitter or Instagram, whatever, you can find me at Darren Credible, D-A-R-A-N Credible. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Trumbull Comic, uh, T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L, and the word comic. And you can also follow the show's Twitter account at SNL Nerds Show. Uh, please give us a, a follow on there. Please uh, like and subscribe to us on your favorite uh, podcasting app. And leave us a review because it really does help out the podcast. Please. Do and uh, yeah, if you want to, you know, if you have some money, you maybe you maybe you give it to our Patreon, help us keep the lights on. I mean, we know times are tight and you know it's uh, it's a it's a mad mad world, but if you got anything and you like what you hear, then uh, throw us a few uh, shekels. And if you can't do that, just write us a review. Review the dope. And uh, if you wanted to uh, contribute to the Patreon, you would do that over at non-productive.com. And just you can uh, slash Patreon and then indicate that you're contributing because of the SNL nerds. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I think that is about everything. So I guess it is time for us to sign off. Well, Darren, good talking to you as always. Uh, good talking to you, good sir. And everyone out there, thank you for listening. So until next week, nerds, nerds out! out. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.